Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Anti-poverty advocates are calling on governments to take action on the city's unsustainable rental market. Local women's shelters are being hit hard by affordability and capacity issues. What vision do Hamilton voters have for this city? Hamilton's Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders help bid farewell to the Queen. A lot of buzz about a documentary about Sidney Poitier. And what kind of fall weather should we expect? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Anti-poverty advocates in this city say the cost of renting in Hamilton has become unsustainable. And they're urging governments to do more than promise to just increase the housing supply. What more is that? Well, let's ask our next guest. He's the director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction, Tom Cooper. Welcome back. How are you this morning? Hey, Rick. Good to talk to you. Average rental rates in Hamilton right now for a one bedroom, seventeen hundred bucks on average. A two bedroom, twenty one hundred dollars. That is number one nuts. And number two, my mortgage is less than that. What is going on in this city? Yeah, you're right. We're we're definitely living in a bit of a twilight zone. Uh, this is an absolute rental crisis, and and people on the lower end end of the income spectrum are, are paying the greatest percentage uh, towards their housing to try to keep housing. And many aren't able to sustain it. They're they're falling into situations of homelessness. And, and you've certainly seen it, Rick. I, I see it every day in terms of the growing number of people who are who are living on the streets, who are who are forced uh, to to try to make uh, make do in encampments, and it's absolutely a crisis in not only our community, but in communities across Canada. And of course, when you have those hard costs for paying rent, if it's a, a one-bedroom, $1,700 scenario, I mean, that, I would imagine, is well above 50% of that tenant's expenses, which doesn't leave room for much else like food and other necessities. Oh, absolutely. And we've been seeing tenants who who are spending upwards of of 80 or 90 percent of their income towards housing and it's forcing people uh to 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 make impossible choices about whether to feed the kids or or keep the utilities on and a growing number of people are, are forced to use food banks as a result the situation is even worse for those on fixed incomes and, and certainly that hits seniors it hits people on the ontario disability support program or ontario works just take one individual on ontario works their their entire benefit for the month is 733 dollars and that's supposed to cover shelter and food and yet we see the average price of a one-bedroom apartment a thousand dollars more than that and and so it it doesn't take a scholar to do the math on this. It doesn't add up, and and people are falling between the cracks and ending up in in very very desperate situations. Yeah, those those individuals have no shot at at getting by with a comfortable place to stay. Um, at the end of the day, you're urging governments to do more. What needs to be done here? Yeah, government should have been doing more 20 years ago. Uh, We've ended up in this situation because governments haven't made the necessary investments in affordable housing uh, really since the turn of the century. And now now those chickens are coming home to roost. And and so we really do need governments to step up now with massive investments uh, in affordable housing builds. But there's things we can do locally, I think, as well. And and housing really does need to become the number one priority of anybody uh, running for office, going out, knocking on doors. 
And, and so one of the things the Just Recovery Coalition, a group of, of local advocacy organizations, has been calling for is the idea of a, a local rent bank uh, that can help tenants stay in their housing if they fall into an emergency situation and, and are at risk of homelessness. We found it is far more cost effective to keep people in affordable housing than to deal with homelessness once it becomes a reality. It's more cost effective for that individual, but also for society as a whole. Uh, another thing we're looking at is, is the idea of inclusionary zoning. So when new housing developments are built, let's earmark a certain percentage of that housing towards affordability and ensure that we have a good mix uh, of incomes right across the city. Just on the red, uh, the rent bank uh, idea, who would run that and how would that be run? Yeah, well, that that's certainly up for discussion. We, we had a smaller program like it running about 10 years ago, and, and it did help people uh, stay in their housing. So it's something that could be could be done by the nonprofit sector. It could be something that's taken on by the municipal government. Um, but I think again, this is something that may cost a little bit up front, but certainly saves the community a lot of money in in some of those costs around dealing with absolute homelessness, dealing with people who are who, who are falling into the situations of homelessness, ending up in emergency rooms or or worse. Um, so there's huge societal costs uh, to homelessness, and, and we have to do everything we can to prevent it. And if this idea of a rent bank uh, helps people stay in their housing, then I think it's a worthy investment. I know you got to run here, but just in 30 seconds, is, is the idea of the tiny shelter system, uh, you know, a big part of this process? Can we build a field hospital-like area for these individuals for the time being? Are these ideas being discussed? They're definitely being discussed. The Hamilton Alliance for Tiny Shelters has been busy talking about this very idea, and, and we're hopeful. Um, we're going to get municipal support. Uh, to move forward uh, to to build a small community of, of tiny cabins for people who can't access traditional shelters, uh, for people who, for various reasons, feel unsafe in shelters, um, a, a tiny shelter, a tiny shelter, a tiny cabin can can help uh, stabilize people, get them ready for more permanent forms of housing. So we think it's a great idea, and and we want to try it. We want to try to get it off the ground before Christmas. Great stuff. Uh, if we can uh, assist in any uh, matter, let us know, and we'll be right there with you, Tom. Thanks for the time today. Good luck going forward. Thanks so much, Rick. That's Tom Cooper, director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We have to talk about some very difficult issues, including this one right here, and that is the state of women's shelters in this community. Because affordability is a huge issue, capacity is certainly a huge issue, and both of those are impacting what is happening at places like Interval House of Hamilton. Uh, they are being forced to look elsewhere for space because, well, they've, they've run out of it. That capacity issue is a big factor. Sue Taylor is the executive director of Interval House Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Sue, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, and thank you very much for having me back again. Tell us what's happening with Interval House and, and how you're looking elsewhere to help women in need. Well, from the last time we chatted, we were we were over capacity the last time and, and our numbers have continued to grow. Uh, just over the past week, we actually hit over 30 women and children in our shelter. 
our shelter is actually funded for 22 beds with four overflow beds. So we are well over capacity. So this is a difficult time for us. And when, and when these days and nights hit, we really work together as a system in Hamilton to try to find safe space for women and children. But the system itself is often full. And women are now really having to face the decision of um, going elsewhere for space. Um, so looking out of the city. In the interim, while we're looking out of the city, we have to back up into boardrooms and offices or wellness rooms so women and children can at least have a restful moment while we're looking for space. It must not be a good feeling knowing that, you know, the expectation is perhaps a, a bedroom with a bed and somewhere cozy to at least, you know, lay their head down and, and, they're, and they're staring at an office space, a boardroom, whatnot, which might not be the most inviting place uh, you know the the emotions i think um might be tough to handle at that point i think it would be incredibly difficult when you make the decision to access a safe shelter and you come and you realize there may not be that safe space there for you um, and then you're faced with some decisions around where you're going to go um, right now kids have just started school so for moms who are currently walking into our shelter if we can't find space in Hamilton and we're looking outside of Hamilton difficult decisions have to be made by mom about moving from her community her family her friends and what about the kids with school yeah that's a great point is is part of the problem as well um, that there you know there's an affordability issue obviously there isn't anywhere else to go but is also part of the problem that the women that you are caring for or, or housing are staying much longer because of this you know vicious cycle of affordability and capacity yeah we think we've seen that strain growing over the last number of years rents have continued to grow um, the wait list to get into affordable housing is is quite long for women um, so the process itself stalls women's ability to move out of the shelter system in an efficient way, and that really creates a backlog. Sue Taylor is the Executive Director of Interval House of Hamilton, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're chatting about how affordability and capacity issues are impacting uh, women's shelters in this city. Um, is there any help on the way? Is there a light at the end of this tunnel here? Well, I'm going to pause and just take a moment and think about that. I'm not sure what that looks like <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, we've been really lucky. We've had quite a few of our community donors step forward, and they're providing some monetary donations to help get us through this difficult time. Right now, we did not budget or plan to have over 30 women and children in the facility, so our food budget is really strained. So we've had some great monetary donations come in. Um, we're working with Shoppers Drug, Drug Mart right now with their Love You campaign, and all the raised from that campaign will go directly to supporting um, our women in shelter and I am looking right now to potentially convert some of our common rooms or offices into some backup spaces for women so at least if we have women coming in we can offer them a place with a bed and a bathroom right but from a funding perspective that doesn't you know you, you don't have funding for that space in particular that's correct. So even if we get the room conversions done, uh, we're not technically funded. We're not technically funded past 28 right now. Um, and when that happens, then we look to our community to help support and donate. Um, and then I think in my world, I've always looked at prevention, right? The investment in prevention. We have a strong prevention program, and I will encourage funders and community donors to invest in our prevention program so we can work with youth and children and prevent gender-based violence. 
We've spoken about the impact of uh, the women who need Interval House of Hamilton. What about the staff? You and your staff, how are you dealing with this? Well, right now, um, we are we are calling in extra staff to support because, again, uh, we were never staffed to support this high number of women and children. So the staff are really stretched. Um, and throughout the pandemic, it's been difficult for all of the staff. Um, we're working with full PPE still. We're very crowded right now. And we're going to continue to try to support our staff in the best ways that we can. Do you need more staff? Do you need volunteers? Do you want people to reach out? Yep. Actually, we have our resource coordinator, Amy, who's been on the phone the last two or three days, um, interviewing and screening volunteers just to help come in and give us a hand from everything from food prep to helping us answer our phones. Well, I hope the next time we chat, it'll be under much better circumstances and that that light at the end of the tunnel is much brighter and we can at least see it. Sue, really appreciate your time today. Best of luck going forward. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Sue Taylor, Executive Director of Interval House of Hamilton. And uh, as you can imagine, a, um, a really dire situation where there's not enough capacity at Interval House of Hamilton. The overflow beds are full. More women are coming in. They need a place to stay and Interval House looking at office spaces and boardrooms in the community to put these women up for a night or two or more. As you can imagine, it is a, an extremely difficult time for them and these individuals. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Something we are definitely not going to miss in, oh, just over a month's time is the municipal election. Not only here in Hamilton, but whatever community you are in in this province, you'll be going to the polls, maybe submitting your mail-in ballots, going to an advanced poll, whatever the case is, it's going to be election day on October the 24th. Well, there's a group here in Hamilton that is asking you, the voters in this city, what do you want the future of this city to be? How, how should this city move forward? The group is called Hamilton Next, and uh, spokesperson Ryan Nyes is joining us on the show. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Hi, Rick. Ryan, am I saying your last name correctly? Well, let's start with that one. Uh, it's it's Knice, actually. Knice. Okay, excellent. Thanks for the clarification. Uh, tell us about Hamilton Next, how you guys formed, and, and what the vision is. Yes, so uh, Hamilton Next is a nonpartisan alliance of local business organizations committed to seeing our city government become a champion for long-term prosperity, growing our economy, and creating a better quality of life for everyone here in Hamilton. And this group has been set up just for this municipal election, or have you been around for a while? Uh, no, th this is just an alliance that we created for this election, um, and we're, we're just moving it forward. We wish to see, uh, coming out of this, mayor and council embrace a plan to ensure that Hamilton is a thriving and prosperous city and an attractive destination for both investment and talent here in the city. How are you asking residents in this community to submit what they want this the, the future of the city to be? Is it all social media? Is it online? Tell us about we the process. Are our, our, our number one is go to our website, hamiltonnext.com. Uh, That's Hamilton with one N, okay? And we go to hashtag frame our future there, and we're asking Hamiltonians to let us know what they're looking for, what their their vision is, uh, so that we can use our campaign as a platform to get those questions out to the candidates so we can get those answers and specifically what their plans are out to, to all Hamiltonians. What's the response been like thus far? Have you heard from a lot of people? 
We think the, the response has been great. Um, I personally um, was at the Winona Peach Festival and handing out some information to do with, with Hamilton Next, asking everyone to go to our website and, and fill things that we've been at other events across the city as well as bus shelters. And we're also rolling out um, some advertisements at, at bus shelters uh, just to show people and help Hamiltonians uh, get to our website. Again, Hamilton Next with one end to help fill out and let us know under hashtag frame our future. Uh, again, what they are, are looking for. Our number one key questions here are, are jobs. What is the plan to attract and keep good-paying jobs in Hamilton? Public-private investment. What is the plan to attract investment capital, new business, and business expansion to Hamilton? Infrastructure and transportation. What is the priority infrastructure transit and transportation investments needed to support Hamilton's prosperity? Housing, of course. What are the plans to ensure adequate housing for everyone and to support thriving and affordable neighborhoods? And finally, our main goal here, sustainability and climate resilience. What is the plan to make Hamilton more resilient to the impacts of climate change? And, and these are our main topics coming out of talking to everyone thus far. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Ryan Kanais, is a spokesperson with Hamilton Next. Uh, you can check them out online, hamiltonnext.ca. You, you rattled off some of the hot-button topics, really, of any election, and this will hold true on October 24th as well. Is there one category that's getting a little more tension than perhaps the others? Uh, no, I think across the board right now, all, all categories are, are getting attention, um, and, and we're really, really happy about that, and we encourage all Hamiltonians to keep uh, signing up and, and letting us know what they're looking for. So what is the plan once you gather all this input, all this information from potential voters out there? Is it to present a document to council sometime uh, after the election to say, hey, this is what the city of Hamilton wants? No, the, the plan is to get the, these questions, get these issues to the candidates themselves, uh, and we're working to, to use our platform as a way to, to help get out what the plans are uh, by all candidates to help keep Hamiltonians informed through our campaign. Okay, are, are any of the candidates receptive to this? Are they inviting this information? Uh, yes, very much so. Um, of, of the candidates, um, we have a good rapport with, with all, um, with conversations back and forth and, and upcoming very soon. We're going to have more information for um, all of Hamilton and, and really being able to start put out what their answers are to these questions so everyone can start to see their plans. Um, some, I think, already have, uh, through their own courses, put out some answers to some of these main questions for those who are following. If anybody wants to dive into the conversation, you can go online, hamiltonnext.ca. You can also use the hashtag FrameOurFuture on social media. Uh, Ryan, great chats. Good luck with this campaign. It's, it's going to do a lot of good. It, we're, you know, we're highlighting some of the big topics and issues in our, in our city to move our city forward in a positive light. Thanks for joining us, and good luck the rest of the way. Oh, thanks so much, Rick. That's Ryan Kanais, who's spokesperson for HamiltonNext.ca, and that's HamiltonEXT.ca. It's the website. It's a pretty nice-looking website in terms of uh, highlighting the big topics in our community, and Ryan kind of listed off a bunch of those in terms of uh, jobs and uh, transportation infrastructure, the economy, housing, uh, climate change, all the big hot button topics are covered. So yeah, I, I invite you to go to the go to the website or use the hashtag frame our future to continue that conversation. It'll be interesting to see if any of the candidates, you know, look at the info that's being given to them and shift their platform just a wee little bit. Who knows? I mean, input from the public goes a long way. Affordability is really putting a damper on women's shelters in this community. So much so they're turning to 
well, a different kind of space. We'll tell you that when we come back here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're a couple of days now um, after the Queen's funeral on Monday uh, that was viewed by billions around the planet. I think I saw the number of 50 billion, 50 or 80 billion. Either way, the most watched event in uh, in television history uh, from a global scale. That is a, a big chunk of the planet. And there in the midst of it all, in the middle of it all, was uh, some local representation. Not only were the RCMP front and center on the funeral procession line, but the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders of Canada, which has deep roots in this community for sure, also played a big part in Monday's funeral procession. One of those individuals who was walking along the way was former Hamilton police chief and honorary lieutenant colonel of the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders, Glenn DeCare, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Glenn, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm, I'm not too bad. What was this experience like? Uh, this was um, this was just an unbelievable opportunity to uh, participate in the Queen's funeral and represent uh, the thousands of men and women who have served as Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders here based in Hamilton. Uh, just uh, an, an opportunity for us to show our appreciations and our respect. Uh, the Queen was our, uh, not only for the Canadian Forces, the Commander-in-Chief, but for the Argyles. Uh, since 1950, then Princess Elizabeth uh, was appointed as the Colonel-in-Chief for the regiment. So she actually served as the Colonel-in-Chief uh, longer than she served as, uh, as, as our Queen. She served for 72 years in the role of the Colonel-in-Chief for the unit. So just an opportunity for us to go and show our respect and say thank you uh, appropriately to Her Majesty uh, on the day of her funeral. What was it like walking with not only all the other Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders who were represented there, but all the other contingents of the military, the royal family? What was going through your mind as you're going, you know, down the street, walking um, b- b- behind the the, uh, the Queen's coffin? Well, never did uh, did I ever think that I would be able to participate in something like this, but. Uh, our honorary colonel, uh, Glenn Gibson, uh, was instrumental in making sure that the Argyles were front and center uh, in dealing with the Canadian forces to make our contingent be available to go. Uh, we had Colonel Titarelli, the commander, uh, the commanding officer, and our regimental sergeant major, uh, Mark Brewster, our pipe major, Scott Ballinson, and Corporal Eric Corton uh, to attend, and to walk with the other Commonwealth countries and it was just, uh, it was really, uh, it, you were struck with awe in the fact that so many people around the world would come together to uh, show their respect for the Queen, just a sign of uh, how important she was around the world. And for us as, uh, as Argyles, uh, she's had a very, very um, uh, strong relationship with us. Uh, She's attended uh, to the armories. She's been here in Canada. She visited uh, Canada more than any other uh, of the uh, Commonwealth countries. She was here with the Duke uh, in uh, 1951, and we had an audience uh, at Buckingham Palace. Uh, Colonel Foxcroft and and Colonel Kennedy uh, attended to Buckingham Palace in 2015 when when Her Majesty received the colonels uh, out of recognition and respect for our fallen soldier, uh, Nathan Cirillo. 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Glenn DeCare, Honorary Lieutenant Colonel of the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders, played a, a big part in Monday's funeral procession for Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, you also sat alongside a number of dignitaries at Westminster Abbey for the funeral itself. Uh, tell us about some of the more memorable moments of that experience. Uh, we were taken into uh, the Commonwealth designation, designation was, was taken into the Abbey around 9.30 in the morning. The service started at 11. Uh, we were seated probably 20, 25 rows from the head of the altar where, uh, where the casket was placed. And again, uh, Rick, just to be able to represent uh, our unit uh, and, and the many people who have served Her Majesty was, was phenomenal. To, to see the world leaders coming in, to pay their respects. Um, you know, we were there, and the, our contingent also, we attended at, uh, at Brookwood Cemetery, and we visited the graves of our fallen Argyles. We visited the graves of, of Sergeant Rennie, who was killed the 29th of October, 1943, a sergeant who was a, killed in a training accident. He was 23 at the time. Uh, we visited the grave of Private uh, Nangle, uh, who was killed in uh, February of 1945. He was 20. And the Argyles that we were able to represent, visit their graves, all of that was in my mind as we sat in the Abbey to pay our respects to Her Majesty the Queen on her final day. And, of course, the, the march from uh, Westminster Abbey to Wellington Arch uh, down the mall was just unbelievable in terms of the outpouring of, of love and respect and, and, and sympathy for the royal family. Years from now, when you reflect on this experience, is there uh, an individual, is there a place, is there a, uh, an image that is going to stick with you? I think, it's the, um, I think it's the number of people that lined up for days uh, to see uh, Her Majesty lay in state. Uh, and it was quiet, it was respectful. I don't, I don't know what the final numbers are, but I would guess by looking at the lines when we were there, you would probably have maybe three or 400,000 people that filed past uh, just the the outpouring of sympathy, and again, uh, the the number of people who had a personal connection to Her Majesty was unbelievable. The stories that people were telling on the street, really, it was just uh, phenomenal. So, you know, a big part for the Argyles is we're we're always mindful of our history. Uh, we're very mindful of the of the troops that serve us today. And we're always recruiting for the Argyles in terms of bringing new young people into the service uh, to carry on that rich tradition uh, of military history here. So uh, if there's young people out there, uh, this is something that uh, you can dedicate a part of your life to and, and help, out, uh, help out your nation. And again, uh, you know, serving Her Majesty over such a long period of time of 70 years, Rick, was just unbelievable to, to recognize. Well, it was certainly heartwarming to see the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders represented in the funeral procession. Uh, you and uh, the four others uh, made Hamilton proud, that is for sure, as as well as the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders. Uh, and I am sure that Queen Elizabeth II was proud that uh, you and the others were uh, participating in the funeral procession. Glenn, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you for your time today, and thanks for representing Hamilton. Thank you very much, Rick. That's Glenda Care, former Hamilton police chief, now the uh, honorary lieutenant colonel of the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders, representing Hamilton proudly at Monday's funeral procession. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I know he's proud. Mm -hmm. This is the first time we have spoken of him in public since his passing. 
This is not just an opening of a film. This is us memorializing him, celebrating him, honoring him in a way that has not been done publicly. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. A documentary about the late Sidney Poitier created a lot of buzz at the Toronto International Film Festival. And in a Canadian broadcast exclusive, ET Canada Cheryl Hickey sits down with producer Oprah Winfrey and director Reginald Hoodlin. The uh, special is called Icons, Oprah Celebrates Sydney, and it airs tomorrow night at 8.30 p.m. on Global. And joining us now is the host of ET Canada, Cheryl Hickey. Cheryl, welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Ah, thank you for having me. How are you? I'm fantastic. We've been playing some snippets from this broadcast mm. exclusive. Mm. Uh, talk about this special and what we're going to see tomorrow night. Oh, this is this is such an honor to be able to host this primetime special that we have with Oprah. Um, she was here, of course, for her movie, uh, her documentary, Sydney, that airs on Apple TV Plus on Friday, September 23rd. And this documentary really is a it's a love story to a legend. Um, it really covers Poitiers films, his life story, you know, his litany of accomplishments as an artist and an activist. Um, it was over a year in the making and Sydney. Um, was executive produced, as you mentioned, by Oprah, who is a longtime friend and directed by Reginald. Um, it, what's beautiful about it is Poitiers' own words provide the narrative. Um, and it's just a beautiful ribbon of his life story. Um, you've got a bunch of really well-known, famous faces, Denzel Washington, Spike Lee, Lenny Kravitz, Halle Berry, and his beautiful daughters, his beautiful six daughters, um, who are sort of talking about the man and the artist and it's you know and then oprah you know is a longtime friend for for so many years she looked up to to sydney and then they became of course you know very good friends down the line so you get to hear about that and and all the really important work that sydney did on and off camera so it's just it's an incredible documentary um and and it and it really gets people thinking and and talking so i think it's it's a beautiful thing one of the comments that uh, Oprah made in your sit-down interview with her is that Sydney did everything deliberately excellent, and I oh, thought that, that really a wonderful saying. Yeah, really sums up what he was all about. Yeah, yeah, deliberately excellent. I told Oprah, I'm like, we need tracksuits and sweatshirts that say deliberately <laughs> excellent, um, and he did because he was so thoughtful. I think you know, and you'll see this in the documentary. He was thoughtful from the get-go. You know, um, and which was really speaks to the kind of man that he that he was and sort of how he walked in the world. And um, and, and, and Oprah celebrates that in this documentary. The documentary itself, as Cheryl mentioned, uh, drops Friday on Apple TV+. Plus. You can see Icons, Oprah Celebrates Sydney, a Canadian broadcast exclusive tomorrow night on Global, airing at 8.30 p.m. When we think of Sydney Poitier, obviously a tremendous actor, a, a diplomat. He was ambassador to Japan. Uh, he was the first black actor to win an Academy Award in 1963 for Lilies of the Field, granted mm -hmm. knighthood by the Queen in 1974, was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in, in 2009, and the list goes yeah. on and on. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how much does this documentary speak to that humongous legacy that he's left? Oh, absolutely and completely. And I think that's that's what's wonderful about this. This isn't a documentary just about a Hollywood actor. 
there are those snippets in there that are wonderful and um, enlightening. But more importantly, it sort of it chronicles his life and his legacy and the important work that he did, like I said, off off camera and sort of the lives that he touched and how he's imprinted in humanity. And it is it is it is beautiful. It's just so beautiful. So I, I really encourage everyone to to please go out and watch it. Tell your friends. Um, and there's a great little teaser <laughs> tomorrow night on Global at 8.30. So I hope everyone uh, really enjoys it. What was it like talking to Oprah, talking about Sydney? Because obviously she was a humongous <laughs> fan of his. Listen, uh, it was it was pretty epic. I've had the the opportunity to, to speak to Oprah three times before, two times before this one. And to be able to get to sit down and talk to her again about something that she is incredibly passionate about and excited about, uh, the partnership with Apple TV Plus, um, was a real honor. I mean, to get to interview Oprah, who is the master at conversation, <laughs> is is next level. So I every time I'm in her presence, I feel like I'm learning something. Um, and like you, and I'm sure many others, I grew up watching Oprah and sort of studying how she did things and how she communicated things. And she is one of the best communicators out there. And um, sort of get to be in her presence and sort of, even for a short time, was, was just an incredible honor. Well, I'm sure all our listeners are going to be tuning in tomorrow night on Global at 8.30 for Icons. Oprah celebrates Sydney as ET Canada's mm-hmm. Cheryl Hickey sits down with producer Oprah Winfrey and director Reginald Hoodlin on this amazing documentary, which drops on mm-hmm. Friday. Cheryl, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be watching tomorrow night. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That is Cheryl Hickey, the host of ET Canada. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today is the last full day of summer. Ah, I know, I know. Fall officially arrives tomorrow night at 9.04 p.m. So what should we expect this upcoming autumn season? Let's ask the expert. He's the chief meteorologist with Global News. Anthony Farnell joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on. The last full day of summer today looks pretty good. Uh, yeah, it does. And that's why I've been out actually the last couple of days camping at Sandbanks. It's been just uh, beautiful conditions and, and I'm just making the most of it uh, today as well. Up to uh, mid-20s in Hamilton, surrounding areas. Uh, humidity making it feel like the low 30s. Enjoy it. Breathe it in because there is going to be a sharp change and it's it's almost on cue and it's always amazing when when mother nature does that as the calendar turns to fall and uh, we get that uh, that equinox you end up with uh, a much different air mass tomorrow and uh, stuck in the low teens for high temperatures uh one thing we're watching though i will say later today uh, the risk of severe storms and that is uh, the potentials there with the cold front Yeah, it'll definitely feel like the first day of fall tomorrow. But for the rest of the season, are we expecting a more traditional fall season with with temperatures and precipitation? I, I do think so. Uh, overall, summer was was rather dry. It was hot at times, but it wasn't. Uh, it didn't top the uh, top three as far as heat, humidity, all of that. Uh, so it was actually a pretty good summer, I think, overall. And now we're heading into fall. We've we've got still some warmth left. Left rather, uh, it is going to take about a week uh, a hiatus, and then we'll see those highs 
creep back into the low 20s, I think, come early October. So we, we are still going to get a stretch of, of nice sunny weather. But over the next few days, much cooler, a real shock to the system. And then uh, we play that back and forth game, which is so typical in fall as we get a few warm days and then some colder ones. And then later in the season, November into December, that's where I am concerned we, we do see a, a sharp change and an early start to winter this this year. Oh, no. Anthony Farnell is our chief meteorologist at Global News, and I was just going to ask you about that. Are we, are, are you anticipating that we're going to have to put our winter tires on maybe a couple of weeks earlier than normal? Yeah, yeah, it looks that way. And I will start with saying uh, fall and spring in particular are notoriously hard seasons to predict. You already have so much transition. Uh, you don't have the, the consistency in a, in a big summer heat bubble or, or in uh, winter, those polar vortexes that you can see a long ways coming. But uh, all, all signs are pointing with what, what's going on in the hurricane season. Uh, some computer models hinting at, at the fact that especially December could turn quite cold this year so it, it might be a good idea i wouldn't say do it yet anything like that but uh, maybe book your appointment for for later in october or early november we're asking our listeners to uh, vote for their favorite season with fall arriving tomorrow autumn leading the way at 52 percent right now do you have a favorite anthony I, I love early autumn. Uh, I think November becomes kind of dreary and, and awful. But uh, yeah, September days are, are just amazing. And, and it's just so quiet everywhere. A lot of the kids are back at school. But you still end up with, I mean, the sun setting after 7 p.m. Uh, get rid of that humidity. That This is kind of my time of year right here. Yeah, it's going to feel good today. That is for sure. Anthony, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. And by the way, I, I love all seasons. That's why I got into the job I'm doing. So I, I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say I, I hate winter because I, I like that too. Winter doesn't mind, Anthony. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> See ya. Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist at Global News. Yeah, you can vote in our Twitter poll at AM900CHML. 52% saying autumn, 27% voting for summer, 17% say spring is number one in their books. And if you can believe it, 4% say winter is their favorite season. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.